stories like crazy. Because everyone has mental health, and everyone has a story, and sometimes they're crazy. Join Lori Lane Murphy and me, Adriana Prosser, as we talk about dealing with, struggling with, and managing mental health with storytellers that want to share their true life story. Get in the conversation with us and talk to us on Facebook, Twitter, and subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes. Now, let's smash some stigma. Every year for Mental Health Week in May, Lori Lane Murphy and I like to celebrate. And how do we do that? By smashing stigma. We got together a few friends who are also stigma fighters and took to the stage in Toronto. Now, at the end of this, we are actually talking about a resource page that I have available online. And you can go to my website at adriana-prosser.com and go to the Safe Talk tab and find the resources page. I'm going by region by region and trying to find the community resources that can help you through a crisis. But let's listen to our first set. It's Elaine Gold and our very own Lori. Let's have a listen. But first, we are here tonight to share stories about mental health for hashtag Get Loud, uh, for CMHA, for Mental Health Awareness Week, Mental Health Awareness Month, and really, it's not about days, it's not about months, it's about living with, struggling with, dealing with, and just owning our mental health and our mental illness, because it doesn't go away. There really isn't a cure. You have to walk with it, you have to live with it, you have to sit in it, uh, and sometimes you have to blanket for it, because it just won't leave the house. Uh, and that's really what we're about. So we're inviting storytellers that have been on our podcast before to talk about their true life stories and to share a little bit about what it's like living with and dealing with and struggling with. Um, and also, we're going we're gonna to see if there's any storytellers out there tonight. We have one spot open if anybody wants to do the, oh my God, I'm going up on stage tonight spot. And it's going to be right after the break. Uh, so just before the break, we'll announce it again to remind you, and then you can talk to Lori or I if you want to be put on the list. And if there's more than one of you, uh, we will randomly pick, like, uh, pin the tail on the donkey. Uh, as well, with all of those prizes, you probably got uh, a very professional ripped-off piece of paper with a number. Uh, and that is your prize ticket, and we will be drawing for these books. And I also have my, my buns bin. Oh, there's X-Men figurines in there, I'm not going to lie. Uh, gee, I wonder why they don't move on buttons. Um, and, and just looking for things that would be self-care for you, that you could walk home tonight and be like, you know what, that's kind of fun that I got that thing. It's going to make me smile. Because that's what tonight is about, is really leaning into that smile, that self-care, what's good for you. So, without further ado, our very first storyteller is going to be, um, uh, I think... I think she's moving in the front row. Yes? Yes! We're going to start with Elaine! Our golden girl, Elaine Gold! Oh, yes. You know, I love what you said, Adriana. You said, it doesn't go away. So, I, if anyone's following this in the home game, on a couple of um, years ago, I told my whole mental health saga. And my Bobby had it, and my mother, and I had it. But I kind of ended the story of, like, when I was 18, I had a nervous breakdown. And I had this doctor who had a Greek name. And it was so long. And you know how Greek name. Well, we're in Greek town, OK? No, they're, they're so long, and there's all those consonants. And I just thought it was really, really mean that my mom goes out and gets me a psychiatrist. I literally couldn't even say his name. And I thought, that's not boding well. 
So anyway, all time has all passed, and, and, and I did all these amazing strategies to keep my mental health in the way I liked it to be. No surprises, I didn't want to feel really bad a lot, and I managed to put a package together that was, you know, uh, drug-free and uh, very up on exercise. Uh, I was in a really, really bad marriage for 24 years, and I thought, you know, I'm not going to let this get me down, and I ran 60, 60 kilometers a week. I'm like, it's not going to catch me. And I did that. Plus, I was waitressing full time and just running around like a crazy person. So I was like, no, I'm so good. And then I would, if I went to a therapist, because eventually I would, I would just, all I would talk about is that I was going to be okay once I left my husband. And, and she was just like, this isn't really what you're supposed to be talking about. And I left. So I thought I was okay. I thought I had dodged the bullet. You know, I had that depression thing happen to me numerous times. but. I had actually not really succumbed to it maybe since 1985. Like it had little bits and things, but nothing that I wouldn't just go stop, stop, and I would be okay. I was really, I don't know, I was lucky. I didn't have to have shock treatment, right? So I was running around like crazy for you know, decades and decades, and I was like, look at me. I'm cool. I have depression, yet I appear so jovial. <laughs> That's right. Because I do all the stuff you're supposed to do. I eat healthy. I get lots of exercise. I avoid things I hate. And I, so I stayed out of the house away from my husband. I was really, mm, I was in control, right? So, you know, eventually um, I left my husband. Yay! Oh, Oh, yeah. <laughs> No, but you know, it wasn't, I still had to keep up the good habits and I was so, okay, I'm gonna get, you know, in a lot of trouble for this, but I was almost a little bit smug. And I'd hear about people that, you know, couldn't keep their mental health in line and I'd be like, yeah, whatever. You know, I ran 60 kilometers, what'd you do? And I was, you know, because I knew what I had to do and I was almost thinking, wow, you know. I got through that whole marriage without having like, you know, and no, it was all good. So I uh, move into my own house. I'm living like this amazing life or whatever, you know. I, I get divorced. Yeah, my best friend, soulmate, goddess girlfriend dies. I'm like, okay, this could be difficult, but I managed to just sort of spin it and run more and I was like yeah I'm okay wow this mental I'm like I was on to almost 30 years of not really having my mental health shoved in my face so um you know time goes by I've got this job with a maniac asshole boss who does nothing but mentally abuse me I'm okay sometimes I leave the restaurant in tears but I'm like no, I, I think I'm okay. And I loved the job, I made a lot of money, and I loved waitressing, and I was like, I'm good. And people would say, how's your day? And I go, it's amazing! And you know, all this shit went out, and I was like, boy, Elaine, you come from a family with hardcore, hardcore mental health problems, and you have conquered your mental health problems. 
you have a problem with depression, I'm not even seeing it. And I'm like, yeah, all these triggers could be making that happen, right? Well, you know, again, not wanting to be smug, and I, you know, I, what you, everyone needs to do what they gotta do, okay? So then, I'm sort of minding my own business, but as if I ever do that, and I, um, my job ended. The restaurant that I loved working at closed. And I was like, yeah, no, I'm good. Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. So then I wasn't fine, but I had to run out and find another job. And I'd had this job for so long, and in case anyone hasn't noticed, I'm not a vibrant 20-year-old Twinkie looking for a waitressing job. I'm 62, right? So people are like, I don't know, like, can you even pick up a tray? Like, it, you know, not that they did, but they could have said that, right? So I was a little nervous getting a job, and then I became the Goldilocks of waitressing. I get a job and I go, no, it's not busy enough. And then I get a job and I go, no, it's way, way not busy, no. And then I got another job and it was too busy. And I was like, okay, you know, you're, you know, it's okay. But starting on January, okay, I'm gonna confess this, because I was smug, I was smug for 30 fucking years. I thought I was fine. January 3rd, 2018, something grew on top of my head and it was the blackest, heaviest dog that has ever been the source of nasty depression. Now, of course, I'm saying that because it was on my head. You've all had your own dogs or wherever you had them, but I was a little humbled because I was like, oh, there you go, smarty, pantsy, wancies. You thought you were never gonna see all that dark, dark depression that was like, it's like as if I like preaching to the choir, we all know, but I'll just run you through it for a minute. It's like this terrible, terrible, well, heaviness, blackness, and it's almost like it's so horrible, it, you can taste it and it kind of comes out of your mouth and it doesn't go away. And I was used to having that little puppy dog go away. And it wouldn't go away. And I thought, oh my god, I'm back in the swirl of depression. But I'd never had one that went that was so unrelenting. And I would never I always say, oh, I wouldn't take drugs, but there was a little part of me that thought, I wouldn't mind a little drug sweeping this bad boy out of here. I still walked a lot. I remember one day, I live in Parkdale, and I walked to here. Broadview and Danforth, and then I walked all the way back for no reason but to try to get the dog off my head. And I got back to the Fresh Co. and I'm walking around there, and Queen and Duffer, and I'm like, I feel amazing. I'm okay. Well, yeah, when the endorphins wore out 20 minutes later, no, it was horrible. And, you know, various friends um, were recipients of my texts. Uh, Lori's one of them going, make the black dog go, please. And it just went on and on and on and on and on. And yeah, if you saw me, I looked like I was okay. But it's like when you see someone that has a heart condition, you don't see, oh, that heart looks bad. No, they look like they're normal, they, but they're, they're not because they've got something rotten inside. So this is, okay, starting in January, and it just kept going, going. Oh, great stuff happening. I got a granddaughter, she's breathtaking. 
I was just like, no, it's why is it? And obviously that does not do anything to take depression out of your head, but it is a bit of an aerobic move in case, you know, you <laughs> felt you needed that. Okay, months go by and I remember thinking to myself, you know, I was walking so much, I was actually, I really think that my toes have become webbed. I'm getting webbed feet from all the walking I'm doing to try to get this thing to go away. And I can't, I'm not, I'm talking to people, but I'm not talking to people to say, here are my problems, because I really didn't have any problems. I had an organic thing. And the, I don't know whether I even thought about it, but I guess I did. I kept thinking, I didn't have this for so long. Something really serious must have pushed me over this cliff. And I was like, what, you know, I'm doing all I can do and I'd stay home and I'd eat all my greens. <laughs> no, make it stop. One night, just a night like any other, I went to sleep and I dreamt about some bullshit thing and I woke up and it was gone. It was just gone. It was like if you'd had a, um, a sore rib and it was taped and then the pain went away, it just goes, right? And I don't know if that's everyone else's little uh, walk down the laneway with depression. Um, obviously, it's so different for everybody, but when my thing goes, it's like if it was a movie and there was, you, they put a ghost inside me, then they made the ghost disappear. That's what it's like. I couldn't believe it. So now it's been gone for such a long time. And sometimes I'm like, oh, think about all those horrible things just to see what I could. No, I don't do that. That would be so stupid. I would never do that. No, never, never. So um, that's just an update. Okay, I know nobody cares and um, everyone cares. That's the best part of all this goofy shit. Um, but you know, um, it's very interesting because I've had the most cobbled, bizarre journey with mental health and I never think, oh yeah, you, you, you're, I'm never confident. I'm never confident, even though when I had those 30 smug years, I was like, at any time, it's gonna happen. And so much shit did happen that put me there and I thought, okay, so it obviously takes so much shit to get me there and I'm just gonna try to avoid shit. Right? That's all you can do. Thank you so much for pretending to love me. Okay, this is a huge step. Ah! Careful. All right, uh, Lori, can you be my Vanna White? Yes. Let's pull the first number. Number lucky seven! Who's lucky number seven? Number seven? Number seven? Oh, sneeze! Yay! Do 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 Oh, I'm going to help you by holding it up. Look at that. Yeah. Ooh. 
Oh. It's 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 my shirt that I made. Yeah, but you're you know you're so beautiful. People just look at your face, and this way they can really focus on the shirt. Hated to say that. Oh, and it's our tagline. Amazing, Lori. Do you want to pick another one? There we go. I did not fold that well. It's a terrible song. I'm singing the actual song, right? Yeah, you are. Okay, good times. I thought I was just making up. And guess what? What comes before seven? But six. Who's number six? Number six. Number six. No? Six, are you shy? Yay! Enjoy some escapism. Why? What do you, why? No, this isn't how it works. Oh, I see, you're proving it. I was just gonna like, trust you like a good Canadian that I am. I'm like, yeah, you are. Six. Six. Amazing. I love how you're like, I told you. You were to be trusted. Six is to be trusted. For all you BSG fans, don't. All right, and she's already here. My Vanna, my other half, Ying to my Yang, my other warrior with a little semicolon. Yeah, Lori. Thank you. Hi. Um, I was just. I look forward to this night so much. I look forward to every time Adriana and I get together. Um, and do our podcast, and we have met so many amazing people over the course of the last two years. It's been now just over two years, and um, so it's a real privilege, um, at least for me, to see people live and in person come out that are actually interested in hearing about mental illness and reducing stigma and all of that good stuff. Um, it just, it warms the cockles of my heart. I'm not sure what the cockles of my heart are, but they're warmed. <laughs> Rest assured, they're warm. Um, so I wanted to share a little bit of story. Um, you can never tell your whole story in one go. We could try, but we'd be here for a week. So I think about my, my life as a bunch of chapters, a bunch of pages, a bunch of highlighted bits, dog-eared corners, um, and when things happen, daily, weekly, sometimes monthly, the things that I think of that trigger some of these memories really come crashing into the forefront. Um, specifically, a couple of weeks ago, something happened to me that kind of changed the direction of where I'm going right now. So let me back up a little bit. Um, since I was a teenager, I have been battling with depression, and um, that was fairly straightforward in my life because I grew up in a household with depression. Um, my father was, um, at that time, diagnosed with clinical depression, which I don't even think they really say anymore. Um, then he was diagnosed manic depressive, which I know they don't say anymore, but we do say bipolar disorder. And bipolar disorder, it turns out, is the gift that keeps on giving um, because it turned out a couple of years ago I was reassessed um, and rather than having depression, it was pointed out to me that I do have <coughs> bipolar disorder. And one might think that, ooh, that's rather a ghastly thing to find out at however old I was, 48, 49 at the time. I was at, that's where you gasp. Thank you. I'm 51 now. <gasps> no one gasps anymore. It's, so when I turned 40, everyone gasped. All right. <laughs> Because we don't believe you. Yeah. There you yeah. go. See, it's just, it's not happening. I know you're all shaking your heads. Okay. No. Right. But I was actually really quite uh, relieved to find this out because 
once you get yourself assessed properly, and I encourage everyone to get assessed properly at one time or another because we do an awful lot of self-diagnosing, and that's, I think, where a lot of stigma comes from, too, because we make assumptions about what we're feeling and what we think that that might look like and what the label that goes with that is, so therefore we slap it on ourselves and on people around us. Um, they should be medicated. Why aren't they medicated? All of those kinds of things. But when you find out and you do the work and it comes back to you, this is what's actually going on, there is a whoosh of relief because now, reflecting back in those dog-eared pages of my story, um, it makes a lot of sense. So a lot of things happened throughout my life that make sense now. And at the time, they really, really didn't. And the same thing with my dad. Looking back now, I suppose if my dad were be to be, if he were with us, unfortunately he passed away in 2005, but if he were still with us, I think he would be re-diagnosed as well. And um, there'd be a lot of really interesting conversation around those diagnoses. Um, but what I wanted to share specifically is what happens when suddenly everything that you thought you knew kind of gets turned on its axis a little bit? What happens when you think that you're really kicking it at life? You're doing really great. Almost a little bit about what you were saying, Elaine, about, yeah, this is good, I'm fine. Um, when your output is really, really positive and you're optimistic and you're motivated and you want good things for the people around you and you want good things for yourself and for your family and you think you're really on the road to achieving all of these things and then you get called into your manager's office. And this is what happened to me a couple of years ago. I thought that I was contributing and I was doing really, really well and it turned out I wasn't. So I had this manager who, after working for 30 years, not for the same particular manager, but after working corporately for a lot of years and thinking, yeah, sure, I've had my ups and downs as much as the next person, but I didn't realize how up and how down I was at the time. But this particular manager in 2016 took me into her office and said, I think there's something going on. And I don't know if you want to talk about it, but I'm here if you want to talk about it. Well, at first I have to say I bristled a little bit. What do you, what? What do you want to talk about? Then she proceeded to share with me all of the things that I have done wrong in this latest project that I was working on. And when I say that, it sounds kind of mean. She wasn't mean to me. She was taking me through material that I should have done better, and I didn't. But the scary part was, I thought that I had. I thought that I was following instructions. I thought that not only was I following instructions, I was being super creative, I was being innovative, I was being resourceful, I was doing all of these amazing things to make this project the very best project it could ever possibly be. And it turned out, I was doing nothing of the kind. And that was the most scared I've ever been in all of my life. Because then you start to question, what am I doing well? Am I doing anything well? And are people lying to me? Are you lying to me? Have I always sucked? Have I always sucked this badly? Was there ever a time when I was any good at anything? So I left work and went on to a short-term disability for a little bit to try to figure this out. And during this time, I thought about my dad a lot. I thought about him specifically because at his first episode, he was 17, and that was in 1957. 
And I know that as we grew up, my dad lost his job about three or four times throughout the 70s, 80s, and a little bit into the 90s because people didn't understand. There was no support for him, really. There was stigma galore. So my dad would go to work. He'd work very, very hard. He'd do the best that he could with what he had to work with. Then he would go into a depression and lose his job. And then the whole process would start over again. So I thought a lot about him and what he must have gone through and the fact that he didn't really have anyone to talk to. So when I was off work, I made it sort of my business to learn as much as I could about this thing called bipolar. And I talked to a lot of people and I looked a lot of people that have been close to me for a lot of years in the eye and said, have you noticed this before? Did you know? Did you think that you knew and just didn't want to say anything? And I was amazed at how many people who were close to me actually looked at me and finally, yeah, we kind of knew. And this makes a lot of sense for us too because we could see this happening. We didn't know what to say. We didn't want to hurt your feelings. All of the things that we say when we don't want to have those uncomfortable conversations. And that was painful for me, but at the same time, I had a lot of compassion for the people that loved me because I don't necessarily think I was that easy to love. I think there were times when I thought I was amazing and why wouldn't you love me? But when I think about all the ups and downs from the age of about 14 on, that's a lot of time for ups and downs. So I had a lot of compassion for the effort people put into being my friend or being related to me was also an effort for some, but we won't say anything. My brother. Um, <laughs> but when I stayed off work a little bit longer and two months turned into four months, turned into six months, a year, two years, two and a half years. So I've now gone from short-term disability to long-term disability. Now, I need to be clear with you, to be fair, I was enjoying this time off. It was very upsetting to me to be told that I needed to be off, but while I was off, things started to open up for me. I started to think about the stuff that I was really interested in that I'd never really paid much attention to before. For example, writing. I wrote a book. I went back to school. I got my diploma in counseling. I did all of this awesome, awesome stuff that I would never have been able to do if I'd still been working corporately. So yeah, it's a blessing. But I'll tell you where the blessing thing kind of sticks for me. It was about two or three weeks ago, maybe a little bit longer, I received the phone call. And the phone call was from the Human Resources Department of my organization, who, by the way, I'm still employed. I was asked to set up a time the next day, clear my calendar, to have a conversation, so I knew what was coming. And I didn't think it was going to bother me. I really thought that I had this because there were so many cool things happening in my life, despite the fact that, yes, I have bipolar disorder. You know, you can still live and have bipolar disorder, and you can still live well. Because uh, I do. I live pretty well. <laughs> but this phone call happened, and it was the actual words. To hear these words, we have no place for you. There is no place for you here. So we're going to have to end your contract. And this is how it's going to look. And then by then, it kind of all went, you know that sound of Charlie Brown's teacher? Wah, 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 exactly. 
So that was sort of in my head after I heard, we don't need you anymore. And they said that to me. Oh. We don't need you anymore. And oh, I don't need you. That's what I felt like saying. <laughs> but admittedly, my feelings were hurt. And it took me a couple of days to kind of pull myself out of that self-pity because I kind of went right downhill. Because it's one thing for you to make the decision not to do something anymore. It's quite another thing to be told you're not going to have that opportunity. So I spent a good two, three days, a week, two weeks, maybe longer, maybe up until yesterday, wondering how my dad must have felt when he went through this more than one time, and two times, three times. I know for sure three times, it was probably four times. In fact, the last time my father was fired from his job, they didn't fire my dad. They asked my mother to come in, and they fired him through proxy. They fired my mother on behalf of my dad. So, yeah, 1985, right? What are you going to do? But I thought a lot about what kind of strength it took for him to keep going because he just got right back up every time and went and got another job. And he got back up and went and got another job because that's what you do. You live with the mental illness that maybe you've been cursed with. And that's what I learned from him. And I learned it again at a later stage in life, looking back, I learned that I'm living with an illness. It does not define me. It does not create opportunities for me, nor does it diminish opportunities for me. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it just simply is. And so I've learned a lot, as I've said, over the past two and a half, three years. And I just keep on learning. And this latest lesson over the last month has made me realize that there is no better place for me to be than right here, right now. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you want to join the conversation, and we hope you do, come find us on Twitter and Facebook. And you can subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud. That's it, Stigma Fighters. And remember, your story isn't over yet, and we want to hear it.